We're Ace Comicals, my name's Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's get started. Welcome guys, this is Ace Comicals episode number 30. And I think over the past week we've been living through that Swamp Thing winter special that I talked about last episode. Yeah, let's do that awfully British thing and just talk about the weather for a good hour or so. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> today I'm joined by just Rahul. Hi there. <laughs> uh, we don't have Leon for... for technical um, reasons. Technical reasons, Literally, yes. <laughs> Literally IT reasons. I think he's been pulled away yes. at a work emergency. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to uh, see you go, Leon, but we'll cope without you for today. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm joined by Just Rahul today. And uh, we have quite a list of stuff to get through still, actually. Um, still a fair few comics on here. Um, so what have you been up to this past week? This week, um, aside from coping with the snow, um, by which I mean I just stayed at home and worked all week from home, which was actually kind of nice, but it also meant that I didn't get to really enjoy all the grumpiness that everybody else did with you know dealing with um crappy roads and failing public transports and whatnot um but i did get to enjoy it from my window in my cozy you know my cozy office which has been nice although i've been kind of sick this last week which i think i might have complained enough about online so i'm not going to do it here um i gather you weren't really feeling up to scratch either this week no it it was a long week a tough week at work (laughs) for me as well actually um and uh yeah but i mean some good things happened um the tickets for leicester comic-con went on sale and that's the 9th and 10th of june this year so um i've i've purchased my ticket for that i'm going to be there on the saturday morning on the 9th uh to check that out and see what's going on i've never been to leicester comic-con before um from what i gather it's a bit like an mcm expo style thing okay um but i don't know so we'll check it out and we'll see. I guess we'll find out and report back. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a bit weird that this this thing's on my doorstep and I've never been to it. You know, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> um and uh, another one that I'm I'm looking forward to this year is uh, Thought Bubble which is in September and that is September 17th to 23rd. Um and I think that's in Leeds. Okay. Usually in Leeds. That one does seem very interesting. It's got a lot of yes, it is. cool, cool it is guests amazing. in yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, and there's some really, some really good guests this year. Um, just to name a few, we've got Gallard and Sebastian Gurner from um, one of my favourite books, Scales and Scoundrels. Um, you've got Saladin Ahmed uh, from Abbott and um, Black... Uh, Black Bolt. Black Bolt, yeah. <laughs> I will get my words out. <laughs> um, and... Uh, We've also got Leslie Hung um, of Snot Girl fame. So, yeah, uh, fairly good-looking guest list. Um, not to mention others like, obviously, obviously Declan Shalvey, um, Cully Hamner, uh, real sort of all-star cast here, actually, looking at it, <laughs> guest-wise. Greg Rooker. Brian Stelfreeze. Yeah, Brian Stelfreeze. Simon Spurrier. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. interesting. I'm, I'm into this. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, this is this is definitely one that I want to check out. So I'll be keeping an eye on it, and uh, hopefully I manage to get myself along. And hopefully we can get along as a trio because if all three of us can go, we can cover it for a cast. 
that would be cool i'd be into that which would be nice yes just so you know uh for listeners out there that's thoughtbubblefestival.com yes you should check that out and also obviously if you google leicester comic-con you will be able to find their website and you will be able to grab your tickets if you're interested so yeah i mean it's, it's getting to that time of year now where we can actually start to get excited about these events i guess so stuff to look forward to for when the weather gets better <laughs> Anyway, um, moving on to the comics. So the first thing I've got on my list is the return of Kick-Ass. Um, and also Hit-Girl. And I've got these two to talk about together because obviously they take place in the same universe and they're by the same writer, which is Mark Miller. Um, so for Kick-Ass, we'll just go through the credits first. For Kick-Ass, we've got Mark Miller writing. Art and cover is John Romita Jr., uh, variant covers by Frank Quietly and uh, Olivia Copio. Um, you've got uh, John Workman as the letterer. Um, digital colors and inks by Peter Stegerwald and digital ink assistant Megan Madrigal. Um, for Hit Girl, again, story Mark Miller, art Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. Cover by Amy Reader. You've got variant covers by Kim Jung Gi and Rafael Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. I've got the Kim Jung Gi cover, um, which is Hit Girl walking through a door with a pile of dead bodies in shadow behind her. And uh, when she walks in through this door, you've got all these guns hanging on the wall. I think this is supposed to be Hit Girl's lair, I guess. Maybe not, but there's all these like guns hanging on the wall and stuff, and it looks pretty cool. Um. <clears throat> Your colorist on that one is Sonny Go, and you've got lettering and production by Melina Mikulic. So, um, confession time. I've never actually read the original Kirkass books. Did you? I did. Yeah, um, I read. Yeah. I read the original uh, Kirkass books when the film came out. I think when the second film came out because I watched the original film first. Cram read all the comics in preparation for the second movie, which hmm. wasn't that great, if I'm being honest. Um, but I, I mean, I like them. I, I don't. I think they had this cult following, which I missed the you know missed the boat on a little bit. Um, yeah, not a huge fan of like the ridiculously over the top gory violence thing. Um, but I kind of dug this this new iteration of it, the 2018 Kickass story. So uh, yeah, um, dive into it, and then I'll I'll follow up yeah um so i yeah obviously never read the original comics but i have seen the movies and i thought the movies were simply okay and that's okay (laughs) with a capital o Mm. um although i actually thought the concept of it was really cool like what would happen if superheroes in the real world where you know that stuff just doesn't exist like powers and aliens and whatever else it's just well we don't know aliens don't exist but i'm not gonna get into that but yeah (laughs) we don't we don't know you you know it's just what would happen if we applied superhero like logic and and people dressing up and and going out there and and taking on bad guys but if we grounded it in the world that we actually live in Hmm. rather than having some kind of fantasy element there which i thought was pretty a pretty cool concept um maybe i should get around to reading the original books but we'll see um as far as i can tell these two are sequels to the original run um they um they're they're two books that are sort of standalone um they don't intersect yet uh but they they and and they also kind of stand alone from the original run as well i don't think you have to have read the original run to to, or, or know anything about the movies to get these books 
um, having never read the original comics myself, I can pick these up and still enjoy them. Um, I'm always told that the books are better than the movies. Um, and obviously, um, I don't know how closely the movies followed the original books. I think having watched the movies kind of informed me a little bit with these because I already knew who the characters were and things like that. But I don't think you have to have watched the films to get it. Both are written by Mark Miller, who was behind the originals as well. Um, start with Kick-Ass. The art is really, really good. And although it's digitally coloured, it looks like pencils and paints, which I thought was really cool. And it's it's well, it's, it's what you'd expect from someone like Ramita. He's a, he's a pro, so... It, he's a he's a big name he's a big name comic artist i wouldn't expect anything less from him to be honest as far as artwork goes um i won't talk too much about the story but it's a different person in the kick-ass suit so we're not joining the original cast again uh and it's different reasons for doing what she does as well um the protagonist this time is an african-american ex-soldier who comes home to find that her husband has cheated on her and left her to pick up the pieces of her life uh, and look after her two young children uh, the neighbourhood she's in isn't great. It's hard to find honest work that pays enough. And um, all the while, there's the temptation there to do something that she shouldn't be doing kind of thing, to, to, to earn enough money. Uh, because it's all around her all the time. And um, obviously she doesn't like it. So she sort of sits there thinking, how do I clean up my neighbourhood and make enough money? Well, that's where the comic gets started. And that's where I'm going to start. Um, I actually, I actually really enjoyed this. I thought, I thought it was a really nice, fresh take, and I thought it was a really, a really cool way to revive the series. Um, and I was really, I was really, really enjoying the artwork in this, and some of the work with Anamatopia is really cool. In some of the earlier pages, where we've we're shown a war zone, basically, um, and there's just some really nice moments in the book as well, actually, in general. And some really cool full page work. Um, some really nice action in some of the panels. And the way that action is expressed. Um, it, it feels animated. Even without it actually being animated. And even though it's not like it's step by step action between the panels. It still feels like it flows really well. Um, and this is something that is more so in the Hit Girl book, I think, but I'll come on to that in a moment. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you read this first, you read this kick-ass book as well, didn't you, Ray? I did, yeah. Um, and I think I agree with you on most of these points, really. Um, like, the first thing that struck me was the art. Like you said, the the colouring in it is really good. Like, um, I didn't realise it was digitally done. I, had, I would never have known, because everything looks so nicely shaded and smoothed together and... I don't know, it has all this variation to it, which I don't I don't think of when I think of digitally made artwork, um, which I yeah, guess it, we're, we're more educated to know that that's not the case anymore these days. But like it, it doesn't it doesn't strike me as having been made on a computer, if you mm. know what I mean. Um, and the story, like, I think it's it's doing this thing where it's using your. Um, your concern or afflic- uh, affiliation with these characters, like you know the the actual Kickass from the Kickass book and the Kickass films, um, and flipping on its head. So like this this new character is kind of usurping the name in a way, and I, I I'm really interested to see where this goes because I have a real I really feel for this character, even though she's making questionable choices. I really want to see what she does with this because why she's 
what exactly her damage is that makes her want to dress up like this specific character that has in-world, you know, relevance and a relevance in the comic book and movie industry as well, and and just what that means. And I'm I'm really keen to see where that goes. Yeah, that's that's where I am as well with this. Um, I think with the artwork, um, it's it's uh, the history that we have with comics when we've seen digital art before in comics done maybe five, six years ago, um, maybe even prior to that, digital artwork always looked very cold. Yeah, like always shiny. looked and, very yeah. cold and very, yeah, very very shiny, very chrome, very... Sterile in some ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I think this, this has a warmth to it. Mm. Um, and obviously the digital colours, you wouldn't know that it was digitally coloured and you wouldn't know that it was... Um, because it looks like paints and pencils. Yeah. I mean, um, that was, that was perhaps yeah. me being a bit glib because I've, I've read many, many, many examples of fantastically done digital artwork. So I was, um, I'm maybe just running my mouth off a little too much there. I like, I think this one looks spectacular as do many other yeah. comics these days. I think, just... I think digital artwork has come on leaps and bounds and it I really, think we're, yeah. we're, we've, we've come well on from the early two thousands, um, and the late nineties when it just, ruin the experience sometimes <laughs> and not just the tools but like the mastery of the tools there are so yeah. many really talented digital artists out there now like like thousands yeah. upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands because if you if you go on yeah. twitter and you follow just you, you know if you do hashtag uh, digital illustrator you'll find so many talented people out there it's crazy but i think the other the other thing as well is um like you said it, with any with any new medium there's going to be teething problems hmm. and i think for the first maybe few years that you see this pop up and people trying this new thing, there's going to be teething problems with it and it's not going to fit and it's not going to feel right. But now digital artwork, as I say, has come on such a way that it looks, I think it actually, it looks great. And it is, it's up there with traditional art, traditional medium, hmm. media even. Um, and I mean, a lot of comics now are digitally produced anyway. Yeah. I can but, see the yeah. benefits. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So, if we move on to the second one so this is like the second one of the double header because i'm discussing these two together because well yeah they're the same thing they're, they're <laughs> the same writer same part, part of the same universe yeah yeah part part and parcel uh this is hit girl so um hit girl is searching for a new partner and psychic in this one since the original kick-ass has hung up his suit and the search isn't going well <laughs> um the comic opens with her about to take down some bad guys um with someone in the kick-ass costume um and he's just not into it he's just like no we're gonna get killed i'm going home do you want to ride kind of thing (laughs) and she just gets left by herself kind of thing to to deal with it on her own um which she does and she's still fighting crime and she's been in in it because it's all she knows i guess it's how she was raised if you know the story of hit girl she'd been raised from an early age to be like the ultimate assassin type thing. Um, I guess it's kind of, for me, when I've seen it in the films, it kind of feels like a play on, you know, the Leon movie. Mm. Yeah. Professional. Yeah. 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 Um, And she's been getting requests from around the world and she's basically seen a cry for vengeance that she just doesn't want to ignore. And so begins the world tour. First stop, Columbia. 
Um, and that's where I'm going to stop the synopsis train. <laughs> um, and the uh, with this one, um, the artwork is fairly different. Um, it's just cartoony enough that it gives the hyperviolence and blood still spilling a bit of a slapstick edge. So you actually, I will actually find myself giggling at things that I shouldn't giggle at. <laughs> um, and there's a definite, there's definite Japanese influence there as well. When you look at the way the eyes are done on some of the characters and the way some of the characters are drawn, there's like a real sort of manga edge to it. Like I guess because kind of, there's yeah. more of a martial arts focus on Hit Girl, isn't there? Like she's a, a master of many different, uh, like violent combat forms. Yeah, from what I remember, is it still Mindy McCready in this book? It is right. Um, and yeah, it's like she's it's got like this real manga edge to it with the way the the eyes are drawn and everything else, and it's it's the facial expressions and stuff when people are getting punched and kicked in the back of the head and stuff like that it's it's great um and it's it's just got great expression of movement and and i think that helps it flow from panel to panel as i was saying with kickass this is this is more so than kickass though in the way it works because of the style it feels animated um without each individual movement having to be expressed um and it, it uses that to its advantage i think um and it's very, very, very cool with beautiful colours. Like the, the way the colours are done in this, the, the way that they play with like um, light and shadow. Um, just the way that they use different shades, like the number of different shades you'll find in one one page is like, it's fantastic. And there's a lot of purple. Obviously, there's a lot of purple, which you'd expect because it's Hit Girl. But yeah, it's it's great. I think I think it's I think it's a fantastic book, and I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. And I think um, as far as the revival of the two characters has gone, as in bringing them back to comics and, and making new Hit Girl and Kickass comics, I feel that it's been quite a success for me because I quite enjoy these books. But then again, I never read the original comics, so I can't you know I can't comment on what came before other than the films, which. Like I said, okay with a capital O. Does it make you want to go back and read them? It does, yeah, big time. Um, it does make me want to check out the original comics. Um, and it, it makes me wonder why I didn't read them in the first place. I mean, I, I think especially for Kick-Ass, the new 2018 Kick-Ass, it's, it might make more sense to go back and read the old one because mm. the you know the taking of that moniker may have some... Yeah. You know, there may be some connection there and like her reasoning behind it, so... I'd recommend but, them. I mean, they're they're fine. They're yeah. they're entertaining. Um, and I'm like I said, I'm not a big fan of the second Kickass film, but I did quite like the first one. And I think um, was it Matthew Vaughn who directed it? Is come on leaps and bounds with doing these like very comic booky action movies. Because I watched Kingsman two the other day, which I really did like. Like I thought the action has taken yeah. a whole notch up compared to Kingsman yeah. one. Um, it just feels less frenetic and like shaky and. Mm. And way more like smooth and composed, and I just I really enjoyed that film. But it was really cool. King Kingsman's another Mark Miller one. Mm, yeah. And so I think their collaboration is is interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. Mm, definitely. So we've had the second Ice Cream Man book now, and this one again it's just as strong as the first one. I felt anyway. I was really into this. Uh, so we've got Ice Cream Man number two. Uh, the cover for this one. Um, we've got one of the characters from the story, um, a very 
thin, unhealthy looking woman sitting on top of an ice cream van at night uh, with the moon coming through the clouds. Um, moon, moon, sorry, clear night, moon coming through the trees. Um, and yeah, this one, the whole thing, the whole theme sort of hinges around drugs and addiction um, and uh, possible redemption at the end. Um, I don't know if it's horror exactly, but it's still a horrifying thing, at least to me anyway. Like, I used to have recurring nightmares about um, being addicted to drugs. I think it was when um, I was in college and I watched a documentary about drug addiction and it just sort of played on my mind. Like, because it was like a documentary, but it was done from the addict's point of view and they were keeping a video diary of themselves trying to give up drugs um and it really i can't remember what the documentary was called but it really got to me uh like stuck in my head kind of thing Hmm. and uh, i would have like nightmares about being addicted to drugs because of it um and so that's definitely struck a chord with me and like just the overall horror of being a slave to something so powerful. And I think it did a really good job of like showing like a, a portrayal and the portrayal in the opening up of a drug out of mind and showing the way, the way it works when you become so addicted and so entrenched in an addiction to something that you will do anything to get it. It's like the, the total headspace of an addict, like uh, the total service servitude to the substance and how it, it just sort of like breaks you down and reprograms you completely to, to do things that you swore you would never do or do things that are so were so opposite to anything that you held high morally or anything like that. And you would do it, you know, um, the art, Again, as with the first issue when we talked about Ice Cream Man, it's excellent and it does a great job of expressing the starkness and the deterioration of character. So as you go, you know, like when you see people, um, the, the stages of the, you know, of going from relatively healthy recreational use to it being like survival, like addiction. Um, and it's, it also, um, it also shows a different side as well to drug addiction because it shows a side where it's it's addiction to addiction to drugs through necessity and prescription drugs rather than um through through recreational use and just just how how alike that that it actually is and the way that it, it does the same things it messes with your head it it makes you into somebody you're not and it puts a strain on the way you behave and, and you become, you, you, again, you get to the point where you need it and it's hard to live without it, which is, you know, the other character in this book, which is the state that he's in at the moment. Um, there's some really, really good uh, full page work in this, actually. And one of the things I loved about this is the way that you've got panels overlaid on larger images or panels. Um, so you've got like one big thing in the background. It's a, this book does this a lot. You've got one big image in the background. And then on top of that, you've got smaller panels of things happening at the same time in the same moment. 
Um, and I think that's really good. And it gives you a real sense of like cohesion with the whole thing. Um, like this is happening here in this moment. This is happening here and now. And it, it's, it's all here, you know. Um, and also, yeah, the way, the way things like memories bleed together and things like that. And it really gives you that kind of like sense, uh, that kind of jumbled sense that you would, you know, that you would associate with, with that kind of jumbled, jumbled memory and jumbled sense you would associate with someone who uses drugs in that way, I suppose. Um, and I think, I think it's really clever and a really great way of doing that. And I think, yeah, I think it makes for a really interesting book and I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Ray? Cause I know you read this as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, so one of the things I wanted to top off on what, from what you just said, um, so this this spiraling reliance on drugs and how it changes your behavior, like who needs the ice cream man when you've got chemicals to fuck you up, right? I think exactly that's one. Right. Of the, I think that's one of the themes of this specific book because like he barely yeah. plays he barely plays any active role in this story. He like um, his ice cream van itself plays a very significant role in what happens in this, but like that's almost incidental. Um, one of the things I loved about the art in this, like you said, it's got the the big pages where it's like the broad scene and then these little flashes of moments of boxes that are overlaid on top as you know these slightly paranoid or um like painful or joyful moments that these Mm. these drug users are going through i think that's really effective um one of the things i mentioned when discussing number one uh that i hope this series would would do more of is like i was hoping it would do more of the twilight zone moral comeuppance route and less of the Tales from the Crypt cruel twist ending route. And it turns out what it's doing is kind of treading a line between both of them, um, where it's about the consequences that poor and selfish decisions that you make have on others. Um, And I I feel like I'm going to have a love-hate relationship with this comic because of that, because it's not quite giving me what I want, but it's also not giving me the thing that I hate. (laughs) So I I think this this particular issue is, is heartbreaking. Um, because it finds a way to have you sympathize with the compulsions and needs of these like fairly terrible people but they're also very tortured and there's you know there's a sympathy there for the circumstance or the situation that they've kind of put themselves in um, and then the situations that they allow themselves to be led down because you know their their priorities have changed based on the chemicals they've been feeding themselves with Um, and then it makes you watch as they like not only destroy themselves but incidental and innocent people around them as well. Um, and I really I really dig it. It makes me feel really uncomfortable in a way that I kind of enjoy. Um, but that said, moralizing about the harms and consequences of drug use, I feel is a little bit old hat. I feel like it's an easy well to mine, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to see them explore some different off-the-wall vices going forward. Um, like one thing I wanted to point out was the the preview for issue number three looks really cool. It's like depicting a middle aged man in a power stance, uh, rocking out on like this Frankenstein guitar that looks like it might have feeding tubes coming out of it, something like that. So maybe that's more in line with what I you know what I'm after. Um, yeah, but yeah, I do get what you mean. Like I can I can see how it would get under your skin if it's if it's a fear that you have as well. And it does a really good portrayal of like how it can turn these people who were never that great to begin with because that's one thing i don't like when a story turns these pristine amazing people into deplorable villains 
because they use drugs. These people weren't that great to begin with. You know, they were kind of isolated and selfish, and then they were using drugs to find some color in their life, which is expressed really well in the comic because they're living through this really desaturated black and white world, and when they take drugs, um, you know, the world becomes filled with color and vibrancy. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was that was really well put. Um, but you can see that they're using it to fill a hole in their lives, and they, you know, they they use each other for that purpose as well. And the the decision that our protagonist makes towards the end only further serves to you know to hammer that point in is that they, you know she was never that great to begin with, which I thought was a really interesting thing to say to not have this virtuous character you know fall into this descent. Um, Oh, one of the things I wanted to say about the art, um, the the color I've already said, like going from saturated to desaturated was really cool. Um, But then the use of the primary colors is really interesting. Like we see our um, lead protagonist and her partner being painted in these, you know, these bright red, yellows and blues when they meet each other for the first time in a club. Um, And then these same colors become the things which guide her to her doom. So when she's looking for... She's looking for a way to find a fix. Um, and she follows these, like, she's checking all these cars to see if they're open and if there's anything to steal in them. And these these cars are painted in these primary colors. And then she finds these visible music notes, which are also in the same, you know, following these mm. bold red, yeah. yellow, blues. And then that leads to the ice cream van, which has these same colors on yeah. know, the font, which says ice cream on it. And I just, I thought that was really cool. Like, that was the influence of the ice cream man drawing her yeah. to her, you know, the portent of her doom. And yeah, I just thought it was really clever. It was. It was very, very, very cool the way that's done, and I do, I do like it. I like, I like this kind of like signaling through design thing when you yeah. get that in comics. It's really cool. Mm. Um, and I have another interesting theory regarding the ice cream man now. Okay. So having read this one, I actually see him as rather than I don't, I don't know if he's nece- I don't think he's necessarily evil. I think he's just a a, a, a personification of fate. Mm. And I think he puts things into place to make things happen. It, it, and, and he's like a kind of like a, 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 a an architect of irony. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Architect yeah. of irony. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he um, I don't, being as powerful as he supposedly is, as we get the impression that he is after the first book, why would he just let her take the ice cream van? Yeah, it's like he's placing the tools in front of her yeah. to, to, that she can design her own demise. He's paving way. the way for her to create her own demise, and then he's adding some kind of like irony to that by bringing in the the um, the older gentleman who mm. is suffering drug addiction for very different reasons. Yeah, he doesn't seem like a cruel god type thing, which again yeah. is the type of story that I wasn't keen to read, and I'm glad that it's not yeah. going that direction. Yeah. No, it's like it's like he, um, it's like yeah, like I say, he's the architect of irony and the personification of fate. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> I, I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Have you got anything else to add to that? No, I just I I, I really enjoyed this. I think people should go out there and check it out. Um, and yeah. super keen on seeing where this third, you know, middle-aged rocker dude comes in. Yeah, it, it looks to me like the way the way that is, it's like some kind of um, modified guitar. Like self, you, you get these self-amplifying guitars 
where people have like uh, modified it or and, and, and the guitar itself will have speakers on it and things like that mm. um and it looks to me like it's just hooked up to a, a jenny or whatever but yeah it looks good i'm into it and i can't wait to read issue three mm. so um going on from there we've got another dose of americana here because this is something that i read and this is Doctor Strange Damnation. Now, uh, this is written by Donny Cates and Nick Spencer, and it's art and cover by Rod Reese. Um, and I believe he handled the colours as well. Um, so somewhere in this book, there is a Johnny Cash song. That's the first thing I have to say. Uh, and it, it really, you can tell Donny Cates has left his mark on this because it, it he's great at what he does. And I love the way that he manages to inject this kind of like, um, this, this sort of thing Americana into everything he, he does, like into his writing and it kind of seasons everything. And it's great. It tastes great. <laughs> it's got this very sort of like country feel. Uh, it, it, it follows the events of secret empire and the destruction of Las Vegas, which happened during that event. I never read that event. Um, this is the really controversial one, by the way, where Cap makes his heel turn and says, Hail Hydra, you know. Um, and basically, Doctor Strange has decided he's going to use his powers to, to do something constructive for once. Instead of trying to fight something, he's going to try and do something constructive. And he's like, I'm going to revive Las Vegas. So he attempts to resurrect Vegas, but in doing so, he brings hell with it. Because naturally, when Vegas was destroyed, being being the center of sin that it is, it ended up in hell. And Mephisto, being the Marvel Lord of Hell, took advantage of this and opened his own casino. So when Vegas came back, Mephisto came with it as its new rightful owner. And literally all hell is breaking loose in the city, um, as it is still under demonic influence. Um, and it comes to the point where Strange has to play cards against Mephisto for the fate of the city and the souls that reside within it. Um, and I just, I just really like this in that kind of like um, dance with the devil kind of way. You know, like when you when you hear these like country and western songs and you, you people tempting fate with the devil and whatever else, or you know, like um, striking deals with the devil, or um, it, it, a lot of it in country rock and, and American rock actually. Um, it's kind of like you know that folk tale feel, like a chance meeting with some kind of malevolent um, gambler, some kind of. Uh, how do I put this? Like crossroads, um, you meet the devil at the crossroads. And yeah, that it's got that kind of for, for for your talent kind of thing. Yeah, it's got that kind of feeling about it. But in this one, it's more like um, kind of folktale wise, like dealing with the devil, um, and and strange strange is like our hero, you know, like waltzing into town, and he's going to take on the town's best cards player, who is the devil, mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know, is that that's that's got that kind of feel about it, and that's what I really like. I mean, that's what um, I love about it, comics is like taking yeah. these different genres and then placing it onto their own stories. Yeah, that's it. It's got. It's, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, just and other yeah. other different conventions and other genres. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's it's got that kind of air about it, and that's what I like. And and I think this is what Donny Cates does a lot with his stuff. Um, a lot of his books have got like they have that kind of Southern Americana thing going on for them. Hmm. 
like i think i think it's because he's from texas so that might have a bit of a <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah that, that might be what puts the edge on it but yeah it's great uh the artwork in this it, it's gorgeous painted art and it, it flows really well with these like fine delicate lines and it's just so well done and so nicely polished the the art itself um the, the way it's painted and everything else and, and some of these some of the panel some of the flow with the panels um like because you've got some borderless panels where the borders are literally um it's, it's literally paint smudged like smudged the border it looks like smudged paint and then you've got some panels where the lines are hard drawn um and you know some pa- and, and as it even does little things where as um as things deteriorate in the city, as you flip through the book, um, the panel, the panel borders get looser and looser or more, more urgent, more rushed. And it's like lines, like on top of lines kind of thing, like really like rough drawn. Um, and I was just, I was just really impressed with it. Really impressed with the way this book is put together. And some of the full page work is fantastic like the way the panels are drawn put together and some of the full page work. Um, there's some really, really, really nice full pages. Actually, there's one where it's, um, cause the casino that, that, um, that Mephisto has manifests as like a kind of a black tower. Um, and there's a really nice full page shot of that. Um, there's some really cool, um, full page moments. Um, where it's uh it's like a, basically the way mephisto decides to explain what's happening and when he, when he's talking to doctor strange and the way he like uses his powers to shift around them so like one minute they're sitting in a cinema one minute they're elsewhere um and there's like a really the way he explains it the way he explains what's happening is uh, when he does it via um it, d- during the cinema part it's like film negatives. So the panels are done as film negatives and it's in black and white and it's really cool. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've got some, um, you've got some really cool page borders later on as well, where we're viewing things like through a, um, through a cauldron, you know, when you're looking into a cauldron and you could like, like a, divining through a cauldron kind of thing and you can see things happening in the in the liquid mm. and we're viewing things through that and it makes really nice there's really nice panels really nice panel borders on that um because we've got um a team being put together to assist with what's happening in vegas and i shan't talk any more about it uh but yeah no it's, it's really nice book and i'm really interested to see where this goes um and i really want to read the rest of it i'm really into this yeah, I think you sold me on this. That sounds it just just yeah. from the like the the medium fuckery stuff sounds really cool. That's that's what yeah. I'm into. So yeah, I'll pick that up. No, yeah, I'm I'm into it. I'm into it, and I want issue two. Definitely. Cool. Um. So I guess we pass over to Ray now for the couple of books that he's he's read that we haven't. So go ahead. Yeah. So another Marvel one. Um, I picked up Lockjaw number one. Um. The only thing I really know about Lockjaw is that he's a big dog that has been in 
a pretty big character in the Ms. Marvel series so far. So that and it's he's a cute bulldog. Like, what more do you need to get me interested? Um, so I, I first like first day pickup for me. Um, so the writer for this is Daniel Kibblesmith, appropriately surnamed Daniel Kibblesmith. <laughs> I thought. Um, pencils by Carlos Villa or Carlo Villa. Uh, ink by Roberto Poggi. Um, colors by Chris O'Halloran and letters by Clayton Cowles. So Lockjaw is, I'm taking this from the synopsis from the book itself. Lockjaw is a giant teleporting bulldog born of inhuman experiments on canines. His powers allow him to travel and carry others thousands of miles and even across dimensions. He is a loyal companion of the inhuman royal family, especially King Black Bolt, with whom Lockjaw spent much of his poppyhood. Um, even Black Bolt, however, knows little of Lockjaw's original family. And sometimes a dog's got to strike out on his own. Um, I basically just picked this up because I thought it looked cute. Um, the book itself splits its focus between the titular Lockjaw um, and an established character, apparently. I've never heard of him before, but a character called Dennis Murphy. Um, we see Lockjaw being basically just an adorable giant dog warping around to get breakfast, crash in on family picnics and, you know, get into trouble. Um, Dennis Murphy is a former hero called Demolition Man or D-Man, um, apparently an established character in the Marvel Universe. Uh, I don't really know much about him. Um, but in this book, he's lost his powers and is basically now just being a bit of a slob. Um, he seems to be coping with this by angrily breaking his own stuff and rejecting the concerns of his family. Um, so not dealing with it really well, basically. Um, he's also dealing with some heartbreak, it seems. Um, and there's a few hints to that throughout the book. So uh, Lockjaw and Dennis, they cross paths when Lockjaw arrives to save Dennis's apartment from being attacked by flying hamsters. Um, but luckily, these hamsters <laughs> arrive in spaceships which resemble frisbees. So Lockjaw, the giant bulldog, has no trouble taking them down. It's 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 it's, it's wild. I, I I love it. Um, so we talk about the burdens of number one issues a lot here on this podcast because we read a lot of you know number one issues. Um, Lockjaw is doing the thing where it's very light on exposition and not you know even just plot as well. It doesn't have that much going on to the point that it feels a little bit aimless. But it does do a good job of introducing its characters and setting its light-hearted tone. Um, you know, for for example, we learn that Lockjaw is friendly, energetic, intelligent, kind of boisterous, and really handy in a fight. And we learn that Dennis is down on his luck, bad at accepting help, and really bad at dealing with heartbreak. The art is pretty sweet. It's functional Marvel, um, you know, in inverted commas, cartoony and colourful, uh, as opposed to the shiny, sterile look that we discussed earlier, you know, when we were talking about digital yeah. art. The kind of look that I associate with Iron Man, or like the muted rigidity of Captain America. This is mm. kind of like fun and light and bouncy. Um, Lockjaw himself has a real sense of weight and momentum, you know, because he, he has that lolloping, slightly uncoordinated, excitable dog movement thing, and it's sold really well. Um, and then there's these bunch of scenes with like vicious hamsters being pinged around in a fight, which, you know, has a lot of energy to it. Um, <laughs> Some of the onomatopoeia gets really repetitive. So, like, Lockjaw only ever seems to be described as trotting or barking in these, you know, big, fat, orange fonts. And there isn't a lot of character to that, so it'd be nice to see a bit more variation on that going forward. Um, so, like I said, the art is functional, um, but it's also not, like, that playful. It's it's not filled with lots of background detail, like Ms. Marvel is, for example. Um which I was a little bit disappointed by, but it is, it's fun and cartoony. Um, and everything has this nice grainy look and all the colors are really pretty. And um, it does, 
you know, sell this sense of lockjaw warping between these different worlds and then ending up on Earth on a really nice summer's day. So, you know, it's it's cute. I'm going to keep reading it, um, mostly just for the hopes that it crosses back over with Kamala Khan someday. So, yeah, that's lockjaw number one. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to pick that up and read that. That sounds pretty great. Um just i mean what i'm my main question about this book though is because if it with with books where the main character is an animal um how do they how do they um portray his thoughts and feelings like is it mostly silent panels or do they actually give him a monologue or no he doesn't have any voice in this so far as far as i'm aware um it's mostly just done through action and facial expressions which are really well done to be honest like he's he does have this dopey look on his face a lot of the time which goes between like calm and dopey to you know vicious and aggressive and playful and stuff like he's Hmm. i think that's really cool and like his motivations and his intentions are pretty well broadcast because like the opening has him like keeping guard of Black Bolt and then he warps to go get breakfast from somebody who you know expects him to be there so it's like he has this established daily routine um, yeah. and you can see him he has this like uh, tuning fork type thing on his forehead which seems to be uh, alerting him to where he's needed and you see him reacting to that a lot and I guess mm. that's that's the main motivating thing. You you know you see him reacting to this this ping that he gets and then warps over. Yeah. See the thing, like, because I I mean one of the coolest ways I've seen animal thoughts and whatever being put down on the page mm. is in um, Afterlife with Archie. Okay. Um, where Archie's dog um, has like it gives you his inner voice. But it's all words, all smushed together, like run, Archie, run, all together <laughs> as one long string. But it, obviously, it's in, it's in a, um, a narration box because nobody else can hear it. The dog, the dog knows what he wants to communicate, but obviously, it's like getting that across to everyone else through actions rather than words because dogs can't talk. But yeah, it's it, I, I. That's what I was wondering about this. Like, how are they going to handle Lockjaw's thoughts and things like that? How are they going to get that across? But if they're able to do that through the artwork and through facial expressions and everything else, then that's fine. That's great. Yeah, it's cool. And there's not anything that complicated going on really in this issue number one so far. Mm. Um, Maybe down the line, they'll have to do something like that. But yeah, there's nothing that off-the-wall creative in this book so far. Yeah, no. Yeah, that sounds, sounds really cool. And I will probably have to pick that up. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Especially if you're just, if you're an animal lover, I think you'll like it, Mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so then the next book that I read was Saga number 49. So, like, normally I wouldn't bring up a comic that's this far into its run on this podcast, but because it's, um, like, it's been on hiatus for a long time and I've picked up Saga again recently after having not read the last couple of issues that came out, you know, on time, um, I thought I'd catch up for this one. Um, so Saga number 49, the team hasn't changed. It's as it always has been. It's written by Brian K. Vaughan with art by Fiona Staples. And they've been this consistent pairing and working fantastically for, you know, the last five or six years since Saga started. Um, so for those who don't know, Saga is an immensely popular comic. It's fantasy, sci-fi, high drama, soap opera with a like diverse array of alien characters and sayings. Um, the broader context of the stories is war and all the endless alien consequences of conflict. But the core theme is about family. Um, In this case, specifically, a family formed from people from both sides of this war. Um, 
Saga to date has gone to some really heady places. It does this amazing thing where it tells stories relevant to real world issues and politics, such as race and gender, but in a way that prioritizes the story and entertainment ahead of the moralizing. Um, there's rarely a direct ex alien is representing wide real world figure kind of thing. And it finds ways to bring these, like, bring to surface issues which can be reinspected from a different angle using these fantastical settings. Um, I mean, basically what I'm trying to say is it's fucking good sci-fi. Like, that's what the best sci-fi does, you know? Um, and because we're late game now, I won't really spoil anything. This um, this last issue, number 48, it closed off... Sorry, the last issue, number 48, um, closed off the eighth volume in the series. Uh, and this eighth volume was also the middle chapter to the latest book, so i.e. the large rock. Um, so that the, the latest issue now, 49, is the beginning of the end of this arc. So, I, I mean, really what I'm trying to say is you need to read this book to catch up on, on what's going on here. It's not really worth mm. jumping in in the yeah. middle. Um, but, like, we've been talking about moralizing moments in in this podcast. So, speaking of somewhat moralizing moments that this series does really well, there's a fantastic one in this book about the, the merits of learning to engage with people face-to-face, which I think is very relevant these days, you know. Um, the harm that your words can cause when you spew them into a screen, you know, t- uh, texting or Twittering or putting on Facebook, um, without seeing the effects that it has on the receiving party. And in true saga form, there's like an in-world twist to this scenario, which is truly heartbreaking, uh, while also being an important character moment for those involved. You know, it's not just moralizing for our sake. It's genuinely an important thing for these characters. And this issue ends spectacularly. Like, it's not a huge action moment, which this the series does have in places, but um, this whole issue is more of a bottle episode where it's, you know, talking and reestablishing where where our characters are. A um, couple of things I wanted to point out, actually, which I've I kind of rushed through. So this this issue has all the hallmarks of the best saga issues in general, like all crammed into one. It has this amazing cover, which has uh, Prince Robot dressed as a newscaster, um, like for BBC, saying the world is for where and it's cut off from the edge of the page which is really mm-hmm. cool it has an it, it has a page number one where there's like gratuitous nudity it has people fucking it has painful character moments <laughs> like it has it has everything that i love about this series all crammed into this one book it's it's so good um and like there's there's not much else i can say uh, i don't want to spoil the plot i can't really add anything to the artwork that i haven't already said in the past like it's fiona staples it's just that's that should be a synonym for you know, fantastic artwork in the dictionary. Um, if you haven't already read Saga, check it out. Number 49 is a good place to to catch up to uh, now that they're back off hiatus. So super recommend it. Saga number 49. Yeah. Um, you can get caught because there's like seven volumes of uh, seven trades out at the moment. So yeah, good way to get caught up is to catch those. Um, and I guess that brings us on to the last one on our list which is legion Um, because you've you've now read because we've we've had two issues of legion now and um i think you had some thoughts to air regarding this book because you've now read issue one and two yeah so i read issues one and two i have to admit i read them quite quickly so i might Mm. need to go back and give it a second chance but i have to admit i'm a little bit disappointed by this book um to go back to something you said with dr strange where there's a lot of playing with the medium like you know, playing with the borders, playing with reality, playing with how this fantastical setting is portrayed on page, you know, to make you feel out of out of place. I don't mm. feel like the comic does any of this. And maybe that's me, you know, like expectations can kill a thing. 
We've talked about this before. Maybe yeah. my expectations have killed this book for me because I'm still riding high off the TV show, which I haven't finished yet. Um, but I feel like the creators of the TV show Legion have basically made a compendium of every single unsettling, disorienting, disassociating, or just like broadly surreal filmmaking technique available and have made like this surprisingly sturdy Jenga stack of madness out of them. And I was kind of hoping for the same in this book. And maybe I've been spoiled by stuff like Tom King's work lately, which, you know, I'm obviously referring to Ace Comical favorite Mr. Miracle here. Um, But I feel this Legion comic doesn't have the same grand ambitions as the Legion TV show or, you know, Mr. Miracle, for example. Um, I mean, there's one instance where we see one of the characters, Dr. Hannah Jones, uh, falling into the mind of a madman, in inverted commas, and the representation of DID that's inked into a man's skin. But beyond those and a few, you know, like nightmare becomes reality moments, it feels like there's a lot of untouched ground where, you know, Haller's infinite array of personalities may leave room for an infinite amount of visual, you know, fuckery, which you hinted at with the Doctor Strange thing. So I'm, I have to, I'm just not that taken with it. I'm not that into the plot for this one i don't really like the art style either i'm not a big fan of you know david haller's tall haircut thing um i'm I'm gonna keep going with it because i want to see where it goes and if it has the same the same themes and same you know uh character moments that the tv show does but i don't know if it's the best primer to this character out there i think i might have to go back and try and find david haller's previous stories hmm I don't know how you feel yeah. about that. I, I get that. The TV show is very different to mm-hmm. what we're seeing in the books. And the the books is actually like, um, yeah, the, the TV show is something else entirely. They're, they're, they're almost two separate things as far as I can see, apart from the fact that they use the same character and draw from the same source material. Which, to um, be fair, you did point out when we talked about this last. So Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing with David Haller as well, like the design with the, the tall haircut um that's that's just david harler unfortunately oh, really? <laughs> that's, okay. a, that's a hangover from the 90s yeah I see. <laughs> that's just, that's just the character um but yeah i mean obviously i i i maybe maybe i talked it up too much when i talked about it previously and that gave you too higher expectation i don't know <laughs> I, th- I think that in combination with how good, just how good the tv show is have um like dampened my outcome from this but I'm, i'll keep going with it i want to see what it does yeah. uh, i just think yeah expectation is a killer for these kind of stories yeah i was really into issue two and i really like this kind of surreal land thing where obviously she was in david inside david's mind mm. and i thought i thought that was pretty cool but yeah no um and it's got this really this really nice cover with um kind of like this totem type design where David Haller's head is an island and you've got all these like weird creatures with the same hair as him <laughs> yeah, sort of that... like in his hair which is really cool that is kind of cool yeah yeah no I'm I'm into I, I'm I'm into this book but that's just me I guess I guess it's not your thing it's not your thing and if you prefer the tv show you prefer the tv show the I TV think show I think maybe really good yeah yeah i think maybe watching the tv show before reading the book probably spoiled you a little bit because if you were expecting it to be anything like the tv show then it won't be because hmm. that's not what it is it's a it's just an x-men character and um this is this is just very true to his comic book form hmm. these, these latest comics are, are very true to what i know about him from previous comics so yeah as in the way apart from the way they portray his mental illness of course which they've they've done a really nice thing with that in making it 
um, like I, like I explained before on the previous episode, where they they've you know they're, they're actually he actually he's actually seeking help, and they've taken a more sort of nuanced approach to it, which mm. I quite like. Yeah. Um, and I think that brings us to a close. Uh, we've ran out of comics. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame Leon wasn't able to join us. Um, we've uh, we've got the pull list as usual, so we will run through that. So these are things to expect on the seventh of March and the fourteenth of March. Seventh uh, of March is when this episode will release, so Wednesday, seventh of March. Uh, on that day, you will be able to buy Batman White Knight number six. If you've been following this story, then. Um, we're we're coming towards the end now. It was only going to be eight issues on long in the first place, so we're, the the story is now drawing to a close, and we're getting up to the crescendo. And I'm quite enjoying it. Um, and um, if you're not already following, I recommend going back to issue one and checking it out. Um, for me, you've got the Ghostbusters annual, the Ghostbusters 2018 annual, which is IDW. Um, this is just. Obviously, you know, fan favourites, Eric Burnham and Dan Schooning. My favourites, Eric Burnham and Dan Schooning, writing a Ghostbusters story again, which uh, I'm really into, obviously, as always. And it's a prelude to the upcoming Ghostbusters event, uh, Ghostbusters Crossing Over, which I think starts on the 14th. Uh, yeah, I've got that on my pool list for the 14th. Um so yeah, that'll be interesting and that'll be a nice thing to pick up. We've got a new one from IDW called Spider King, which caught my eye. Um, now, uh, I'll read the synopsis for this from the uh, previews website. So when a fleet of spaceships crashes into Northern Europe in 956 AD, a group of unlikely Viking heroes are the last line of defense against a brutal intergalactic warlord. Equal parts science fiction and fantasy, the Spider King follows the adventures of Viking warriors as they defend their world against alien invaders, armed with futuristic technology and impossible weapons. And then uh, in bullet points, we've got Vikings versus aliens. <laughs> and perfect for fans of Vikings, Conan the Barbarian or Hellboy. <laughs> so I think I'm going to be into this. Um... We have uh, Extremity number 12, which is the end. That's it. Extremity number 12. It's going to be the end of... It's the end of an era. It's the, the end of one of my most favourite books of all time. It's the, it's, it's the extra size finale, and it's just... Uh, this book's been so good, and I'll be so sad to see it go from my pull list. I really will. But yeah, Extremity number 12, and if you're not reading that yet, why not? <laughs> why why have you waited so long anyway uh, we've got another issue of Scales and Scoundrels Scales and Scoundrels number 7 drops on the 7th of March uh, we've got Doctor Strange Damnation number 2 so if you like what I've just said pick up number 1 and number 2 um, Infinity Countdown number 1 so this is yet another um, the third opener to the big marvel infinity event because you had the, the the adam warlock one and then you had infinity countdown prime and now you've got infinity countdown number one so i think this is the beginning of the event proper 
So this is the big Marvel Infinity event that we're getting this year to coincide with that film they're making. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ray, what have we got for you for the 7th of March? Okay, so for the 7th um, on my list is Oblivion Song number 1, which I think we talked about in what we're looking forward to for 2018. It's finally coming out. Um, written by Robert Kirkman himself. Um, uh, obviously published by Image Comics. Uh, about a guy who's... A decade ago, 300,000 citizens of Philadelphia were suddenly lost in oblivion. Um, Nathan Cole makes daily attempts to recover these people who are lost. It looks cool. Not really sure what, you know, any more than that, but the synopsis has me sold. Um, and then we've also got Gideon Falls number one, which is another image comic uh, written by Jeff Lemire, who I quite like. It was advertised at the back of Saga number 49, and it has the front cover where um, it looks like an island, but the island sort of resembles a human or perhaps an ape um, on its landmass, and that's just caught my attention. Um, there's something called Prism Stalker number one, uh, which, I don't know, I was sold by the cover. It has like this vibrant um, yellow and pink theme, so that's enough to catch me. And something called Highest House number one, uh, written by Mike Carey. So those, those are on my list. Oh, and also something called Dodge City which is about dodgeball and i'm all about you know like sports manga and stuff so that sounds, that sounds pretty cool yeah it sounds interesting i'm I want to see what that's about so yeah those are my picks it, for for the seventh is dodge, is dodge city manga or is it a comic comic it's a comic comic sorry it's it's a comic but i'm yeah. into my sports manga and it's, oh, right, yeah. it serves the same thing yeah. yeah cool okay um so for 14th of march um on my list i've got mr miracle number seven Eagerly awaiting Mr. Miracle number seven. Uh, we've got Ghostbusters crossing over number one, uh, which is going to follow on from the Ghostbusters annual, uh, 2018 annual, and it's, yeah, it's more Ghostbusters. We like Ghostbusters. Um, curse Worlds, Curse Words, Curse Worlds, Curse Words, Curse Words number 12, uh, versus number two, and Marvel 2 in 1 number four, which is the continuing adventures of The Thing and the Human Torch. Um, Ray, where are we at with you on the 14th? So for the 14th, I've got number one with a bullet number five. Uh, we've talked about this series in the past. There's a new American Gods run coming out, uh, My Ainsel, I think. That's another no new number one. And something called Eternity Girl number one, which is by uh, Magdalene Visaggio, I think. Um, again, just caught on the basis of the cover, but it's like this really trippy, cross-hatched, colourful um, painting of this girl just staring into out of the page. It looks really interesting. Um, something about a girl who is going to live forever and there's no escape to be had, which sounds super dark and cool. So, yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Mm. Um, and that's the pull list. So if you see, if you heard anything that you, that, that takes your fancy there, then go out and pick it up, support your local comic book store, go and buy it. On to questions. So we've got a question this week, and this actually comes from a tweet that Leon spotted and drew our attention to. Um, someone asking a question on Twitter of their followers. Um, and we thought we'd take it and modify it slightly and use it as a question for our show. Um, so you are given one book from both Marvel and DC to write. I'm going to add IDW to that as well. And um, so, so what are those three books and um, why basically? Wait, what? I'm not sure I understand the question. So you're so you're given you're given one book from Marvel, one book from DC, and one book from IDW to write. For you to write. So, 
Yeah, for you to write, yeah. Okay. So you're writing, you, you've been given characters. Basically, rather than saying book, I, I'll say you've been given a franchise or you've been given a character to write. So why would you want to do those characters? And uh, I guess if you would do anything different, what would you do compared to what's happening at the moment? Hmm. Okay. Well, you got so to go on. Tell me. Tell me what you think. Well, I had a hard time coming up with a decent answer for this. <laughs> um, Because... For me, yeah, I, I had a really hard time because it's just so much out there that I'd love to write and, and that I, you know, that I think I could, I, I would have like great ideas for that. I'm just like, I have no answer to this question. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, that's, that's, this is the problem. You see, I've been thinking about it all week since Leon drew my attention to the tweet and I've just had no answer for this question no clear answer i was hoping you'd be able to give me something to bounce off <laughs> i'm sorry okay so like this i mean i was taken off guard by this question because i hadn't actually read it until now um but the two that come to mind if you're giving me marvel and idw i would and i'm going to interpret this question as being i'm going to write a crossover story between a marvel property and an idw property i'd cross over kamala khan and lock and key Right, because I would love to be able to write something from the perspective of like a second generation immigrant. So how Kamala Khan is a you know Pakistani girl living in um, New Jersey. I said New York the last time I mentioned this, and Leon taught me off. So very clearly New Jersey City. Um, I'd like to be able to write that character, but in the setting of um, what is it? Is it, is it the town of Lovecraft, Massachusetts, in Lock and Key, and like all this Lovecraftian horror that the um, the Locke family go through. I'd love to write a story about those two things intersecting. That would be cool. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, I think what I would do is I would have, um, I'd want to write the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I wouldn't write about the turtles. I would give Shredder a solo book. Um, So that's my IDW pick. I would write about Shredder and I would give him his own solo book hmm. and and have everything from Shredder's point of view instead of from the point of view of um, the Turtles and Splinter and everybody else. Instead of seeing things from that side, I'd, I'd have a book where we see things the other way from the point of view of the Foot Clan. Um, kind of get more into why they do what they do and, and more into what what it is that makes the foot clan the foot clan i mean we've already had books like the secret history of the foot clan and things like that but i'd want to do it in a way that it completely flips flips the story completely and 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 we 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 we're actually made to sympathize with uh, the foot clan as a protagonist of the book kind of thing hmm. um i think you could do some interesting things with that um for marvel i'd want to have a go at silver surfer I would have a stab at that mm. because I think I think I think that's a place where you can just go mad because because it, it's out there it's cosmic it's it's you know you can you can just let your imagination run wild and you can come up with all kinds of interesting and um, just you know like cosmic level stuff that you don't have to explain because it's out there in the wider universe and it defies explanation. So you can you can you can be as as surreal as avant garde as you want with that one, and I think that'd be quite an interesting thing to have a go at. Um, I'd read it. 
Yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, it'd just be the most surreal avant-garde thing you've ever read. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to have a go at that. And I'd like to, um, I don't know, DC, where would I go with that? You see, maybe for DC, I would possibly have, um, I'd have a book along the same lines as um, King's uh, Batman and and Catwoman book. Um, But rather than like, so so, so like um, Tom King's recent Batman run where Batman and Catwoman are a couple and they're engaged um, and we're, we're, we're going through there's like in between actual superhero stuff there's a lot of like couple politics and everything else but what i'd what i'd like to do is i'd like to do something where um maybe you get swamp thing and poison ivy like not that i'm Mm. shipping those two (laughs) (laughs) that would be interesting but swamp thing and ivy yeah i think that'd be quite an interesting thing to do i may i think might have already been done actually i think i'm probably talking about something I'm, i may have already seen yeah, somewhere surely somebody's done that crossover before but it'd be it'd be something that i'd like to have a go at a swamp thing ivy crossover book yeah that sounds awesome or like like you've got detective comics um where it's like the entire bat family at the moment you could have and it's like a wider bat book basically you could have like something where it's like characters that that, that are part of the green hmm all sort of working together kind of thing in a detective comicsy type way. I don't know. Or recent detective comedy type way anyway. But yeah, that's that's how I um that that's that's my my two cents anyway. But yeah. I think I think my favourite one of the three, the one that I would most like to have a go at would be the uh, the, the Silver Surfer one maybe, I think. So that brings us to a close. That has been Ace Comicals episode number 30. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us at WordPress, which is acecomicals.wordpress.com. You can find us on various podcasting apps and various places. You can find us in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Castro. Um, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is the main hub for everything. You can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. If you would like to pose a question to, uh, to us at Ace Comicals, you can do it via the Ace Comicals Twitter feed, or you can get in touch with me on Twitter. Um, you can join the conversation, you know, strike up a conversation with us talk to us on on social media we like that uh you can get in touch with us uh acecomicals at gmail.com um if you want to send us an email uh ray where can we find you yeah you can uh, get a hold of me the easiest on twitter so that's at monke so that's at m-o-o-n-k-e-h and to add what you were saying uh, if you want to join the conversation we now have comments available on our website if you want to you know leave a comment specifically for a, a specific episode that you've been listening to and also if you've got this far 
and you're listening to us do this waffle towards the end of our episode, um, I'd like to suggest you go to iTunes and leave us a review or a star rating. I mean, you may not realize how much of a difference it makes, but it would be a big help to you know get us promoted. And if you want to spread the word, if you want to you know retweet our episodes, that would be great as well. Yeah, and just just give us some feedback. Tell us what we're doing that you like, and tell us what we're doing that you don't like. <laughs> Definitely tell us and what we you can, don't like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we can, we can work on that, yeah. <laughs> and that has been Ace Comicals episode number 30. So that's Ace Comicals over and out.